0: Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus. Really, really excited to have you guys here. My name is Tony. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff here at Grace, and if we have not had a chance to meet, I'd love to uh, to get a chance to do that, and so please, after the, the service is done, come and catch me in the cafe if you have time, and I'd love to hear your story, how you got here, uh, if it is your first time here, if you're a guest, so thanks so much for being with us. Uh, today, we are actually finishing a series we've been in for the past five weeks uh, that we've been calling Be Bold, and and so like I mentioned, if it is your first time here, you're a guest, you are kind of catching catching us a little bit at the tail end of a conversation that we've been having over the course of the past several weeks. So let me kind of catch you up to speed with what it is that we uh, have been talking about. So in this series, you can probably tell from the title, uh, the, uh, the topic matter that we've been discussing is really this idea of boldness. Uh, we've been talking about boldness, and more specifically, what we've been talking about is what does it mean for a Christian to be bold? Uh, what is a bold Christian Look like, and of course, like we said before, we don't, uh, we don't, we we acknowledge the fact that not everyone in the room here today maybe follows Jesus. Some of you might still be investigating the whole Jesus thing. But what we've been doing in this series is we've really just been talking about. What does it mean to be a bold Christian? And here's the reason why we said this is such an important conversation and we wanted to take five weeks to talk about it. We said the reason this is so important is because in no uncertain terms, uh, when you look into the Bible, what you find is that God wants his people to be bold. Those of us who follow Jesus, God wants us to be bold. In fact, we looked several weeks ago and we found that over 42 times in the New Testament alone, you see this idea of boldness spoken about in association with the Christian life, that God wants those who follow him, Christ followers, to be bold. God uses boldness. We talked about that. We say God wants to use the boldness of those who follow him to evoke change in the world and evoke change in the lives of others as well. But here's the problem, and this is why we've been talking about this. We said the problem is that when we talk about this concept of boldness in our culture, that sometimes it can be met with a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding. And we said that this idea of boldness in our culture, for, for many of us, when I say the word bold. What we tend to associate that with is we tend to associate that with aggression. We tend to associate that with kind of being pushy or in your face. Uh, We think of maybe you know kind of being obnoxious or shove this down your throat whether you want to hear it or not. And sometimes when we think of the word bold, we might associate it with some of those things. And here's what we said. We said that when you look at the biblical picture of boldness, when the Bible says that God wants his people to be bold, it actually has nothing to do with any of those things. In fact, here's what we discovered over the over the last several weeks. We discovered that in the Bible, biblical boldness is not about the volume of your voice. Uh, biblical boldness is not about the aggressiveness of your uh, kind of you know your decisions and and and, and the forcefulness of those things. We said that biblical boldness is not even about your personality style. It's whether you're an outgoing person or you're an introverted person. Boldness, biblical boldness has nothing to do with any of those things. Here's what we said. We said biblical boldness, we discovered this. Biblical boldness is really about fearless authenticity. That's what it is. It is about this this whole idea of just confident transparency. That's what it is. With gentleness and respect, with gentleness and respect, not pushy, not um, braggadocious, not shove this down your throat. It is just a fearless transparency. It is a confident authenticity with gentleness and respect. This is who I believe Jesus is. This is what he has done in my life. And so for the past several weeks, what we've been doing as we've been trying to demystify what does it actually mean to be a bold Christian and what are the different components of what that looks like. And so I would just encourage you, by the way, that if you missed the previous talks in this series, you can actually go back, you can access those. That might be helpful for you uh, to catch up on that. By the way, you can listen to all of those on our app, on our podcast, on our website. Uh, By the way, all of those platforms are free. And so we'd encourage you to take advantage of that if you you would uh, like to. But today, as we finish this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at one final component about what does it actually look like to pursue God's ideal for boldness? What does it look like to be a bold Christian? And this one final aspect that we're gonna look at, I think is really, really important. Today, we're gonna talk about the idea of bold dependence. Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit about this idea of bold dependence. Now, some of you might be thinking, what does that mean exactly? Well, let me just, from the very beginning here, let me just give you the main point of what I wanna communicate today. So let me just get to the bottom line, and I'll tell you, here's the main point of what we hope to talk about here today. And I'm gonna spend the rest of my time explaining myself. But here's the main point. Main point is this, that the boldness, the boldness that God desires from those of us who follow Jesus results from a bold dependence on the Holy Spirit. All right, so let me just say that again. Here's the main point. I'm gonna talk about this, that the boldness that God desires for those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us who are Christians, Uh, results from a bold dependence on the Holy Spirit. In other words, if we wanna be bold the way that God wants us to be bold, that comes from a bold dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. I know that when I put this statement on the screen, uh, for some of you, maybe it's intriguing or it's thought-provoking. Maybe for some of us, it's actually a little bit, uh, maybe it makes us kind of step back a little bit because there's some stuff, like you see the Holy Spirit on there, and you're like, okay, that's weird, and we talk about the idea of bold dependence on the whole, and you're like, okay, this is weird. And, and so you're like, what exactly do you mean by that? What does that look like? And, and, and how do we, like, what do we do with that? And that's what I wanna spend my time talking about. I wanna kinda of clarify and apply this statement right here. So let me show you what I'm talking about. In fact, if you have a Bible, I wanna show you an example of what I mean in the book of Acts chapter eight. So if you get your Bibles out, you grab them with me. We're gonna to turn together to Acts eight. Okay, so grab a Bible. If you have one, uh, use your smartphone, your tablet, if you got that too. Acts chapter eight, however you wanna get there. Um, If you wanna use one of our Bibles, like if you didn't bring a Bible yourself, that's no problem. There's some black Bibles in the chairs underneath where you're sitting, page uh, 764. You can turn there in those Bibles. And then let me just say too, we say this every week, but we really do mean it. If you do not own a physical copy of the Bible, would you just take one of ours? We would love for you to have a physical copy of the Bible that you could call your own. So you can take that, you can have that. So Acts chapter eight. Now, as you're finding Acts chapter eight, um, let me kind of start with, uh, start with kind of a fun story. So um, back in 2004, I had uh, got to be part of a really, really cool experience. So 2004, I was living in Chicago. This kind of dates me a little bit. I was living in Chicago and I had this friend. It was a good buddy of mine. His name was Cam. And uh, he was a a friend of mine that I met in college, and and we were just kind of friends. And one day, my buddy Cam came up to me, and he said, uh, said, hey, man, he said, what are you doing tonight? I said, as a matter of fact, I'm not doing anything. I said, why, you want to hang out tonight? And he said, good. He said, I'm glad you're not doing anything. He said, I have a surprise for you. He says, I want to take you somewhere. I think you're really going to like it. And I said, where are we going to go? He says, what's the surprise? I said, all right, sounds cool. So he's like, all right, well, meet me at five o'clock, and we'll go. So Met my buddy uh, at five, got in the car, and he drove us downtown, and he drove us to the United Center. And if you guys have ever been to Chicago, you know that the United Center is where the Bulls play. So my first thought was, well, I guess we're going to a basketball game. That's cool. I like basketball. This will be fun. You know, we're going to go see a basketball game. But then it occurred to me, it's five o'clock in the afternoon, and there is no cars in the parking lot at this place. And so I was like, man, what are we doing? So I looked at my friend. I said, what are we doing? And he's like, just wait. You're going to love this. I was like, all right, so so we walk into the United Center, and then we walk in the doors. There's there's practically nobody there. There's a couple security guards, but there's practically nobody there. And one of the first things I noticed was that on the radio was playing um, the song Two Steps Behind. Anyone know that song? Happens to be by the iconic 80s band Def Leppard, who I happen to like. So I, I heard that song and I thought, oh, cool, that's Def Lepp. I like Def Lepp. So we're walking in and 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 we go into, we walk through, you know, the hallways and we walk into the arena portion of the building and we walk into the arena. The arena is totally empty. There's no one else in there. But here, what I find is that the song that was playing on the radio wasn't playing on the radio, that on the stage was Def Leppard playing two steps behind. And so I looked at my buddy and I said, that's Def Leppard. And he goes, yeah, it is. <laughs> and I said, No way. And he's like, yes way. And I said, are we here to like see some kind of like private Def Leppard? Like, what are we doing here? Why, like, why are we here and Def Leppard's here? Like, what's going on? And he goes, uh, he goes, just wait. So he walks down to the stage. He and I walk down to where the stage is at. Now, mind you, there's this gate around the stage and there's these police officers and security guards. Like, no one ain't, you ain't going back there, right? No one's allowed near these guys. And so my friend goes down to the gate. Sure enough, these security guards come up and they're like, you guys can't come back here. And my buddy Cam says to the security guard, he says, hey, he goes, is uh, such and such working today? So this security guard gets on you know, the radio and he's like, hey, is you know, such and such back there? Sure enough, this guy comes from behind the stage, comes running out, and he's like, Cam! He's like, what's up? And he goes up to my friend, gives him a big hug. He's like, how's it going? He's like, who's your friend? And he's like, this is my friend Tony. And, you know, I, and he introduced, introduced me to him. He said, well, great. He said, why don't you guys come on back? And I was like... What? He's like, come on back. I'm like, there? And he's like, yeah. So he starts taking us backstage. And of course, the security guards are like, you guys can't come back there. And he goes, no, no, it's cool. They're with me. And I was like, this is awesome. And so we walk back and I'm telling you, long story short, my my buddy Cam, his uncle... Uh, was a guitar technician for the band Def Leppard. And they were on a world tour. So this is the guy that would set up the guitars, tune the guitars, change the guitar strings, you know, give the guitars to the musicians in between songs, that kind of thing. And they were on a world tour and they just so happened to be going through Chicago. And so this guy called Cam, who was his nephew, and said, hey, I'm in Chicago. Do you wanna come and get a tour of the backstage? He's like, I'll come show it to you. You can bring a friend with you. And so my friend Cam said, I thought that you would like this because back then I liked to play guitar. I like I music a lot. He's like, so I thought you would really enjoy this. And I was like, well, you thought right. And so, so we got this. I'm telling you, man, it was the coolest thing. For the next two hours, we got this exclusive backstage tour. We got to see the, the tour bus of Def Leppard, which by the way is amazing. It's like... Nicer than my house. It's incredible. We got to see the green room that they go in before the show, and they have, they have like, everything you could imagine in the green room. At one point, he took us onto the stage. So after the band was done rehearsing, he actually took us onto the stage, and he was showing us what he did. So he, he showed us the, I'm, I'm not kidding, dozens of guitars that these guys have. And he showed me that he, he's like, I tune them, I change the strings, here's what I do. And then at one point, he said to me, he goes, um, you, you play guitar, don't you? I said, yeah, I play guitar. He said, you want to play one? And I said, you shut your mouth right now. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I do. And so he gave, me, he gave me this. He's like, this is a special guitar. And he let me play one of the guy from Def Leppard's guitars. He's like, do you want to tune it? I said, yeah. So I, I tuned the guitar up, got it all set up. And, and anyway, we got to eat dinner with a band. I'm telling you, it was one of the coolest things I ever got to experience. And by the end of the whole thing, I remember I, was, I told my friend and I told uh, his uncle, I said, man, thank you guys so much for letting me be part of something. I would, I, this is amazing. I, I just can't even imagine, you know, doing anything like this. What an incredible experience. And then they said to me, they said, oh, this, there's one more thing. They said, you get to stay for the show. I was like, cool, we get to stay and watch Death Leopard. And they said, and you get to be in the front row. And so we got to sit in the front row and watch one of the most iconic rock bands in history just absolutely destroy. It was awesome. And my favorite part of the show was at the end of the show, they did this encore. So, you know how everyone chants for an encore? Def Leppard comes out for an encore, and guess what guitar the guy's playing? Yeah, my guitar, right? The one that I was playing, I too. And I saw it, I was like, that's my guitar. Like, I'm in Def Leppard now. Like, I'm practically part of the band. And, It was the coolest thing ever. And I remember um, when I left there, and I remember that night just thinking to myself, wow, am I glad I was available tonight. Wow, am I glad that I was free, that I could do this. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, there's a couple of reasons I tell you that story. One is because it's just an awesome story, right? But there's actually a bigger reason, and it's because I want to make a point. And here's here's the point that I'm trying to make. So, So check this out. Because of that guitar technician, I just want you to think about this for a minute. Because of that guitar technician, because I was with him, my friend's uncle, I got to participate in something that I would never have access to on my own. Because of that guitar technician, I got to go places and see things that I would never have been able to see Um, Because that that guitar technician, because I was with him, I got to an experience and adventure that was much bigger than myself. I got to see something that was so epic, be part of a production that was beyond any scale that I could in myself imagine. Because I was with that guitar technician, I got to enjoy front row seats to watch one of the most iconic rock bands in history play. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Now, here's why I tell you all that, because I want you to understand that for those of us who follow Jesus, in a much more real sense, that when we boldly depend on the Holy Spirit, that when we boldly depend on the Holy Spirit, we get to participate in something we would never have access to on our own. That because we're with him, we get to participate in something that we would never get access to without him. That because of bold dependence on the Holy Spirit, we get to experience an adventure that's much bigger than ourselves. We get to participate and be part of something that is bigger than even our own lives. And we get to enjoy front row seats to what God is doing in this world. That if we boldly depend on the Holy Spirit, we get to have front row seats to watching God work. We get to see it. We get to enjoy it. And we get to participate in it. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, that sounds really cool, but what does that look like? What do you mean by that and what does that look like? Well, this is where Acts chapter eight comes in. And so what I wanna show you today is I actually wanna show you, it's a relatively famous Bible story. In fact, if you grew up in the church or around the church, my guess is you may have heard of it. It's a story about a guy named Philip who was a follower of Jesus, and another guy who's simply called the Ethiopian eunuch. That's all that he's referred to as is the Ethiopian eunuch. And what you're gonna see in this story is it's, it's an interesting story. It's a little bit of a bizarre story, but I think you see an example of what we're talking about. So here's what we're gonna do. We're actually gonna read the whole story. Okay, so we're gonna read the whole thing. Then we're gonna come back and we're gonna make some observations. So let's start in verse 26. So Acts chapter eight, verse 26. Here's how the story starts. Now, an angel of the Lord sent, said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, which is part of the Old Testament, by the way. So then the spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And so then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, so here's the story. And like I said, for some of you, uh, maybe you've never read it. Maybe for some of you, it's a familiar passage if you kind of grew up in the church. But it's an interesting story. It's actually a pretty bizarre story. Here, here's the story of a guy named Philip who was a disciple of Jesus, this guy named the Ethiopian eunuch. And what you see is that the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go talk to this guy. Uh, the Holy, the, uh, Philip goes up, talks to the Ethiopian eunuch who just so happens to be reading uh, the book of Isaiah. He ends up telling them about Jesus. The guy becomes a Christian. He gets baptized. And then at the end of the story, Philip just somehow disappears. It's a little bit interesting, a little bit bizarre. But here's what I want you to notice about this story. If you look at it a little more deeply, which is what we're gonna do today, what you're gonna find out is there's actually only three characters in the entire story, just three characters. And here they are. You have Philip, who, like I said, is a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple of Christ. You have the Ethiopian eunuch, And then the third character, which is not immediately obvious, but when you read the passage, you will see it very clearly. The third character is the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. And what's really interesting is when you look at the passage in depth, you will find that the primary character in the story, the character that's organizing and orchestrating and putting all things together is actually the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is the one that is doing all of the work to essentially make all of this come together. Some of you are like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I just want you to notice with me a few things. I want you to notice first and foremost in this passage, notice that the Holy Spirit uses the boldness of the responsive Christian, All right, So I want you to notice this. In this passage, you're gonna see the Holy Spirit is going to use the responsive Christ follower, That's really interesting, Um, if, if you look at this passage, you will notice that there are several occasions where you see the Holy Spirit at work, where you see that it's the Holy Spirit or it's by divine intervention that somehow things are being orchestrated. So let me just show you an example of what I'm talking about. In verse 26, you notice how the whole story starts. The Bible says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So that's interesting. The Bible says the whole thing starts off with an angel talking to Philip and telling him to go down to this road. Now, I don't know about you. I have never had a conversation with an angel. It's never happened before. So what did that look like? I have no idea. We just know that the Bible says that God is the one who sends an angel to tell Philip to go down there. Now, do you notice when Philip finally gets down to the road, do you notice how he knows which chariot to go to? Do you notice? The Spirit of the Lord told Philip, go to that chariot. Now, that's interesting. How did the spirit of the Lord tell Philip? Oh, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell. Did, did he speak to him audibly? Is that what happened? Did he feel like a prompting? Did he feel like something? It, did he see Jesus' face on a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that? Like, how did the spirit tell Philip? We don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, right? Then at the end of the story, notice this. The Bible says that after the eunuch was baptized, He comes out of the water and the the Holy Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. How did he do that? We don't know. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, but here's what we do know in this story, that the Holy Spirit is the one who is prompting, sending, guiding Philip. The Holy Spirit uses the responsive Christian. Now, here's what I wanna submit to you today. I believe that the same Holy Spirit that's at work here in Acts chapter eight is the same Holy Spirit who's at work today. And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God continues to work through the boldness of the responsive Christian. Now, I know when I say that, for some of you, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, that sounds so weird to you. You're like, the Holy Spirit is gonna use the responsive Christian. That just got real weird real quick. Like, we're talking about a Holy Spirit now. There's a Holy Ghost like, nah, 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 you guys are strange, right? That'd be, that might be what you think. And if you're a follower of Jesus, my guess is when I say that the Holy Spirit uses the responsive Christian, you probably want to hear more. You're probably like, well, can you explain that to me? Can you tell me how that works? How does the Holy Spirit tell you to do things and how do you become responsive? My guess is if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have a lot of questions. And listen, here, here's what I would tell you. We don't have time to get all into all of the details that surround that topic, but I would actually encourage you, if you have never heard much on the topic of the Holy Spirit, I would actually encourage you to go back. You can listen to a message that we gave in the past. In fact, it was a series last year that we did called GC3, and there was a message in that series called The Great Comforter, and the whole thing was about the Holy Spirit and kind of understanding a little bit about him and who he is and how he works. But let me just say for the sake of our conversation, here's the best way I can explain this to you. And I wish I could explain it better than this, but this is the best I can do. As a follower of Jesus, I follow Christ. I could just tell you that there have been times, multiple times in my life, that I have felt a compulsion to tell another person about Jesus, and I have been certain that it was the Holy Spirit. I wish I could explain it to you better than that, but my guess is if you're a follower of Christ in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. That there is, there are times where there is a compulsion to share the, the good news, to share the love, to share the message of Jesus with another person that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are like, well, can you give me an example of what that looks like? Well, sure. Let me give you one. Um, and the one I'm gonna give you, every time I teach this passage, I feel like I have to tell this story because it just, it reminds me so much of the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. So when I was, in fact, we were in my life group a couple months ago, we were talking about this passage and I, I told this story. But uh, the story is uh, uh, before I was married, so when I was single, um, I was doing my laundry, which was an incredibly rare occurrence uh, when I was single. And, uh, but I was doing my laundry on a laundromat. And so I was living in an apartment where I didn't have access to laundry, so I had to go to a laundromat to do my laundry. And if you guys have ever been in that situation where you do your laundry at a laundromat, it's just not a pleasurable experience. You just want to get in, you want to get out, you want to get done. And so it was the middle of the afternoon, I had some time, so I went to the laundromat and I brought my Bible with me. So I thought, I'm just going to be sitting there, so I might as well read my Bible and, uh, and, and do that when I'm doing my laundry. So I go in the laundromat, there's nobody there, it's just me and my Bible and I'm doing my laundry. And as I'm doing this, um, this woman walks in and she's probably in her mid thirties and she has with her, her laundry, of course, but then she also has a toddler aged son, She has a little boy with her. And so she gets her laundry out and she, she has this little boy and she brought with her one of those, um, you guys know like those Walker contraptions that you put your kids in. It's got wheels on it and you put them down, they can like meander around. So she puts her son in this thing and he starts walking around and he's slamming into everything. Right, every washer and dryer, he's just slamming into stuff. So she's doing her laundry. I'm doing my laundry. I'm reading the Bible, and I just remember, I just I, I, there's this really compelling um, uh, prompting inside of me. I felt like, man, I just I need to somehow talk to this woman and see where she stands with Jesus. Like I just remember that thought went through my mind, and immediately when I thought that, I started to argue with myself. I was like, oh, I don't know if that's God or if that's indigestion or if that's like, I don't know. I don't, what is, I don't know. I thought, how do you start a conversation with someone in a laundromat? That's just awkward. And I'm not not an extroverted person. I'm introverted, like, come on. You know, and I just was sitting there and I was kind of arguing with myself about whether or not I should start a conversation with this person. And as that happened, as I was thinking this, the little boy in the walker proceeds to slam into my legs. Like, just, boom, in my shins. And I thought, well, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. I don't know, you know? So, so this mom comes over, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, it's no problem. And I thought, well, maybe this is my opportunity. I don't, I don't know. So I said, I just tried to start a conversation. So I just said, well, how old is he? You know? And she's like, well, he's such and such months old. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I said, what's his name? And she said, uh, she said his name's Christian. And I got to tell you, this day, this next thing I said may be the corniest thing I've ever said in my life. I don't know if I would ever recommend this to anyone. She said, his name is Christian. I thought, oh, well, that maybe, you know. And so I was like, that's really cool. His name's Christian. I said, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and as, as soon as it, I was like, oh. And then I said, I said, are you a Christian? Is that why you named him Christian? And the moment I said it, I remember I thought to myself, oh, man, this conversation is over. Like, that's, you know, the craziest thing happened. Um, within the next minute, uh, this woman, she broke down in tears, and she started to tell me about the situation of this child and how the child was born and how the father wasn't in the picture anymore. And she told me about the painful situation that surrounded it and what had happened. And um, this is what she said to me. In this conversation that we're having in the laundromat, she said to me, she said, I feel like my whole life I've been running from God. And she said, and for the first time in my life, I am open and I wanna connect with God. I wanna connect with him. And she said, but I don't know how. And she said, I wish someone could tell me how to connect with God. And I looked at her and I said, well, I said, you're in luck. There's a town about three miles. Dumb and dumber, anybody, right? No, I said, man, I said, you know what? I said, wow. I said, the most amazing thing, I said, I have a Bible with me. I said, and I happen to know how you can connect with God. I happen to know for sure how you can connect with God. I said, because the Bible tells, I said, can I show you that? And she said, please. So I opened up the scripture. We actually started in Romans 3.23. A lot of you guys are familiar with this verse. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I said, my guess is you probably don't feel acceptable to God because of some of the decisions that she made. She said, that's exactly right. I said, well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says none of us are acceptable to God. All of us have fallen short of his standard. All have sinned and fall short. I said, but there's good news. And the good news is Romans 6.23. Romans 6, 23 says that that, that all have fallen short of God's standard, but the free gift of God comes through Christ, right? All fall short of God's glory. And yet at the same time, the Bible says that while we're still yet sinners, God died for us, that there's a free gift that comes in Christ. And I said, what do you have to do to accept the gift? He said, you just gotta take it. I said, that's right, you don't earn a gift. You don't have to somehow work yourself up to receiving a gift, you just take it. God has given you a gift in Christ. And I explained why Jesus came. I showed a Romans chapter 10, which says, man, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in, in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I said, you can be connected to God, not because you clean yourself up. You can come just like you are to Jesus and he'll take you and he'll redeem you and he'll transform you if you'd let him. And man, right there in the laundromat, this woman gave her life to Christ. And she prayed to receive Christ right there. We got a chance to talk about that. And I remember when we were done, I gave her my Bible. I said, you can have my Bible. I said, you know, write your name in it. I said, write the date in it. Write the date because this is like your spiritual birthday when you started following Jesus. And I'm telling you, she was so full of joy. And I remember when I walked out of that laundromat, I remember thinking to myself, man, I thought I just came here to do laundry. But God had something way better in mind. The Holy Spirit is up to something. He is doing something and he's inviting us into that adventure. And the Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian. Think about it. What did I need to do in that setting? Nothing more than open my mouth. God was already doing everything else. I mean, come on. Like, are you a Christian? That's terrible. And yet God blessed it and God used it. Why? Because God wants to use the responsive Christian and he still does so today. I love the way that Bill Heibel said it. Bill Heibel said it this way. He said, the most important factor in evangelistic potency is being alert and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what is the most important factor in being bold the way that God desires us to be bold? It is being alert and it is being responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's paying attention, Right? And, and listening for those, those moments of what God is asking us to do. I know what some of you uh, might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, well, that's a great story and all. But come on, man, let's be honest. Most of the time when we share our faith with someone, it's not going to result in somebody breaking down in tears in the laundromat and giving their life to Jesus. Like, that's pretty rare. And I would just tell you that I actually agree with that. I think it is pretty rare. I could probably tell you I have a handful of experiences that I've had in my life where this storyline went like that. Most of the time it doesn't, though. Most of the time I feel led to tell someone about Jesus. Sometimes I don't, but sometimes I do. And when I do, sometimes the conversation doesn't go the way I think it's going to go. Sometimes it goes better than I think it's going to go. Sometimes it goes worse, and sometimes it's very anticlimactic. And that's the end of the situation. But here, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is if the Holy Spirit is the one who's working these circumstances out, we just have to be responsive to Him and trust Him with the results. I'll never forget, uh, I have a good friend of mine. His name is TK. And he was telling me, he's a follower of Jesus as well. And he was telling me a story about something I thought was really fascinating. He was on an airplane, and uh, he was sitting next to a gentleman on the airplane. And they got into a conversation and the conversation ended up turning into matters of faith. So they started talking about faith. And my friend, um, he said that while they were talking, he felt, he felt like he needed to be bold. And so he, he, he was, he, he said, he talked to this guy and he said, hey, he said, I'm a follower of Jesus. He said, have you ever investigated the things that Jesus has said about himself? Like, did you ever dig into the things of Christ? And this guy that was sitting next to him, he said, I can't believe you asked me that question. And he said, I'm sorry if that like offended you or that's cool. And, and this guy said, no, 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 no. He said, I can't believe you asked me that question. He said, because I just transferred off of another flight. He says, and the person I was sitting next to asked me that exact same question. And he's like, now normally, he's like, I shut that person down because I usually don't want to talk about stuff like that. He said, but I'm on an airplane and you're talking about eternity, <laughs> And I feel like maybe God's trying to get my attention. So why don't you tell me about Jesus? And so my friend did, told him about Jesus. That guy ended up um, start deciding to follow Jesus when he was uh, through the course of that flight. And my friend said something I thought was really insightful. He said, you know what? I got to participate in something that was so cool. I got to watch God work in that guy's life. He said, but then it occurred to me, what about the person on the flight before me? That man or that woman who shared their faith, they had no idea. In their eyes, they may have said something and they may have thought that totally failed, that totally flopped. But what they didn't know was that the Holy Spirit was working in that person's life. I think Bill Bright said it really well. Bill Bright said this, success, success in boldness is sharing Christ and the power of the Spirit and then leaving the results to God. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be responsive because God's the one who's working this thing out. So I'm just gonna be responsive to what God says and then I'm gonna trust him with the results of what God wants to do with this situation, right? So so here's the thing, God wants to use the responsive Christian. For those of us who follow Jesus, here's the question I think we need to ask ourselves. Are we available and are we willing to be used by him? Let's be real honest with you. I think maybe for some of us who follow Jesus, maybe the reason we don't have stories like that, maybe the reason is because we're not willing and we're not available. I'll be the first one to admit to you that when I walk into a store, that when I walk into the gym, that when I walk into a restaurant, I walk in and most of the time I have my agenda. I am here to do this thing. I'm here to get this thing. I'm here to whatever this thing. And I'm just gonna do the thing that I came here to do. And oftentimes I forget to even ask God, what is your agenda? God, when I walk into this workplace, when I walk into this situation, what do you wanna do? Because you're at work. You're at work and you're working in people's lives and you use the response of the So help me to be responsive. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that God has prepared good works in advance for those who follow him. That we might walk in those good works. What if we stopped and we asked God, God, what good work do you have here for me? I can walk in my family room, my workplace, whatever it might be. So, the Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian. But here's another thing I want you to see in this passage, okay? The other thing I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit prepares the genuine seeker. The Holy Spirit prepares the genuine seeker. And what I mean by this is the Holy Spirit doesn't just use the responsive Christian, the Holy Spirit also works on the other side to prepare the genuine seeker. I think you actually see this in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. So, I want you to notice with the Ethiopian eunuch, there's actually a few things that uh, the passage tells us that I think gives us some really good indications about this guy's story. So I want you to notice, first and foremost, about this guy. He was an important official that was in charge of the treasury of candy. So the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible tells us, was a really powerful person. Uh, He actually, he was uh, in charge of all of the treasury of the candy in Ethiopia. Basically what that meant was, he was like the finance minister of the country of Ethiopia. And so you're talking about a very powerful person. In addition to that, I think the text shows us he was probably a really wealthy dude. This guy's wealthy. Now, how do we know that? Well, there's a couple of hints. One is he uh, was riding in a chariot. So back in this time, only the very, very top level of the economic ladder could afford a chariot. Think private jet, right? That's kind of what you're talking about. And then notice he's reading the book of Isaiah. Now, why is that important? He owns a copy of Isaiah. Now, In modern day times, with the advent of the printing press, Bibles come a dime a dozen, right? We have Bibles everywhere, we give away Bibles. Back in this time, if you wanted a copy of Isaiah, that had to be meticulously written out by a scribe on the most expensive parchment, it costed a lot of money. Guy's wealthy, he's powerful, then notice this, he's a eunuch, and some of you are like, what is a eunuch? I would just tell you, ask your mom today, that'd be a good thing. But what I, no, no, here's what a eunuch was. So a eunuch was essentially a male servant that worked in the royal household. And so this was actually kind of common custom back in this time. If you worked among the queen or the king's harem, they would oftentimes, you know, if you were a guy and you worked with them, they would require that you would emasculate yourself by castration. And the reason was because they didn't want to pollute the royal line. So if you got any ideas, they took precautionary measures and they would make you castrate yourself. So all that to say, this is a guy who sacrificed a lot to get into his position that he's in here as as this this treasure of Ethiopia. Now, here's what's interesting about him too. Notice the Bible seems to tell us that this guy is in hyper-spiritual search mode. I think the Bible gives us indication this guy is in a hyper-spiritual search mode. How do we know that? Well, notice where he's coming home from. The Bible says he's coming home from Jerusalem where he was worshiping. Now, where is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is 1,200 miles from Ethiopia. So this guy has traveled. He's not a Jewish man. The Jews worshiped in Jerusalem, Not, not, not Ethiopians. So he's going all the way up to Jerusalem to worship. And then on his way home, what's he doing? He's reading the book of Isaiah, right? He's pouring himself. And by the way, he's in chapter 53 of Isaiah, which meant that he read most of the book. So what is this showing us? I think here's what it's showing us. This is a guy who's looking for answers. He's looking for God. Most likely, my guess is, his circumstance is probably this. He probably sacrificed everything to achieve a certain level of success and power And then when he finally achieved that level of success and power, like many people do, he found that it did not satisfy him the way he hoped it would. He probably discovered that when he got to the top, that he realized that that he was still hungry, that there was still a thirst within him, there was still an insatiable appetite, and he was looking and he was searching. And so my guess is that now he goes into hyper-spiritual search mode. He starts looking for answers. He starts looking for God. And so he starts to go up to Jerusalem. Listen, I believe God is working working in the genuine seeker. He's beginning to work in this guy's heart. And I believe the same Holy Spirit who does this in this passage does the same thing today. Listen, there might be some of you who are here today and maybe the reason that you're here is because you are looking for answers. And maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch, there've been certain things that you have chased after in this life because you believed that somehow they would satisfy you and they would satiate inside of you a thirst for purpose and, and for meaning and for significance. And you have found that those very things that you gave yourself to have only left you hungry and thirsty again. And maybe inside of you, if you were really honest, there is a deep longing in your heart for a deeper answer. There has to be something more. Now listen, I would, if, if, if that's you, and you're saying, man, I know what you're talking, what is that? What is that? I would submit to you, I believe that that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is um, the hound of heaven. He comes after us. He comes after us. He draws us in. So what do you see? You see the Holy Spirit using the responsive Christians, you see the Holy Spirit preparing the heart of the genuine seeker, Here's the last thing I want you to notice. You watch it all culminate in this final thing. The Holy Spirit speaks to the gospel. The Holy Spirit speaks to the gospel. So now I want you to notice all three of these components, okay? The, the responsive Christian, the genuine seeker, and now the message of the gospel. All three of these things are gonna come together in a really amazing way. So check this out, verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, I just, I don't know about you. I find this to be one of of the most comedic scenes in the Bible. So remember, the Holy Spirit told Philip, all right, Philip, go run up next to that chariot. And my guess is Philip was probably like, well, that's weird, that's gonna, I'm gonna seem like such a creeper, I don't know that guy, but, he, but you know, Philip, at this point, he probably is seeing God work so many times, he's like, all right, so Bible says he starts running, right? he starts running up next to the chariot, and the Bible says he heard the guy reading the book of Isaiah, so apparently, he's reading out loud, which would have been kind of a normal thing back in that time, and so look at Philip, this is great, he doesn't even say, hi, I'm Philip, none of that, right? he just says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? So get this picture in your mind. He's running, the guy's reading. He's like, you, you understand what you're talking, what you're reading there? And, and then the Ethiopian eunuch, this is awesome. He doesn't even say, who are you? He just says, how can I? How can I understand this? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip to come up with him. So, so here's the scene. Spirit says, Philip, go run up to that cherry. Philip's like, all right. So he runs up, hears him reading the book of Isaiah. And he's like, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how can I understand? I don't understand what I'm reading. I wish God would send me someone to explain it to me. And Philip's like, well, I'll come up there. And so he's like, come up here. And so he gets up in the chariot. Stuff's great. Now look at this. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Now, the eunuch was reading Isaiah 53. And I just want to tell you that if you've never read Isaiah 53 in its entirety, you need to go back and do that this week. It is one of the most clearly explicit messianic, um, messianic messages in the entire Bible. And what I mean by that is it's written 700 years before Jesus, and it is very clearly about Jesus. Uh, it says, he was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. By his wounds, we have been healed. It's all about Jesus. It goes on to say, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You guys might remember when Jesus was on trial and they accused him of the things he did. He didn't say a word like a sheep to the slaughter. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And so he's reading Isaiah 53. And then the eunuch said, tell me, can you please tell me who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And he told him, notice the good news about Jesus. The good news. By the way, the word good news um, that's used in the New Testament is where we get the word gospel from. That's what gospel means. It means good news. He told him the good news about Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice how masterful all three of these things, the Holy Spirit working, how masterful these three things are orchestrated to all culminate at this one moment right? The Bible says that after he tells him about Jesus, the guy gives his life to Christ, he gets baptized, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. But I want you to notice how all three of these things come together. So here you have the Ethiopian eunuch who's in hyper-spiritual search mode. He goes up to Jerusalem. He's coming home. He's reading Isaiah. He probably starts in chapter one. By the time he gets down here, he's in chapter 53. At the same time, the Holy Spirit prompts Philip to come down to this road. And at just the right moment, I mean, at just when he gets to chapter 53, then God says to Philip, okay, hold on, hold on. Now, go, 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 go. And so Philip runs up and he's like, what you reading? And he's like, Isaiah 53, I don't understand. He's like, I happen to know that passage. And he gets up and he tells him about Christ. And at just the right time, all three of these things culminate. This man gives his life to Jesus. Now, here's a question I wanna ask you. How much... Must God love this man that he would go to such great lengths to work these things out just for him to hear the message? How much must God love this one man? Listen, here's what I believe. I believe the same Holy Spirit who worked in Acts chapter eight is working today and I believe he does the same thing for each and every single one of us. He loves us so much he goes to every length to bring the message to us. And listen, I just want to tell you that I believe that same Holy Spirit is at work here today. That for some of you, and maybe you're here today, you're investigating Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you don't know why you're here. Could it be that maybe the Holy Spirit of God loves you so much that he brought your circumstances that you might sit here because he wanted to tell you something. And what does he want to tell you? Well, I believe he wants to tell you good news. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy your soul. That's the good news. The good news is that he has died for your sin and that he offers you salvation that he loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to give your life to him so that he can transform you and make you to the person he wants you to become. That's the good news. And I believe that the Holy Spirit brought you here so you could hear that message. Same spirit is working. And for some of you, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. And maybe it's become very clear to you today that God cares a lot and that he's trying to get your attention because he wants you to come to him. And if that's the case, listen, I wanna encourage you to do that today. You can do that. There's nothing crazy or mystical or why you don't have to sacrifice an animal. You could just, between your heart and God's heart, you could just pray to him. You could just say, God, I sense that you're working. I see that this is real. I give myself to you. You can do that. You can give your life to him. For those of us who follow Jesus, I think the message for us is this. God's at work. And he want, there's an adventure that he's on and he, he loves everybody and he wants to reach them with the good news of the gospel. And he wants to use us. And the question is, are we willing? And are we responsive? Are we attuned? Are we aware? Are we available to be used by him? God, make us bold because the world desperately needs you. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I wanna say thank you for your spirit. Thank you that he's here. Thank you for preserving for us this incredible story of Philippine the Ethiopian eunuch and giving us in many ways a case study of how you're at work, even in our lives today. Father, I want to pray for the person who's in this room who clearly senses that you're working in their heart. And God, I pray that um, the work that you're doing, that you would complete in that person. I pray, Jesus, that they would come to find that you are the only one who can truly satisfy the human soul. There's nothing else in this life that satisfies. Everything else leaves us thirsty. Everything else leaves us hungry. So Father, I pray that we come to you in those ways. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who follow you, would you help us, God, help us to uh, not get so preoccupied with our agenda that that we miss out on the adventure and the thrill of what it means to work with you to be used by you in the lives of other people. So God, even now, I pray that you would help us. God, help us to be responsive to you. That when you ask us to to do an act of love in another person's life, when you asked us to to share a message, to, to do that in a bold way with gentleness and respect, but give us boldness. Lord, make us bold because the world desperately needs you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.